0: i <laughs>
1: came and broke them down you broke them down there were chains around us by a grace we
2: connected with our church, we would love to get to know you a little bit. So if that's you and this is your first time joining us, I want to encourage you to text the word VIP to 587-855-5569. That's VIP to 587-855-5569. It's on your screen right now. And we just love to connect with you, answer any questions you have, get to know you a little bit, and share about what Gateway is all about as well, we just want to say a huge warm welcome to everyone who's joining us online this morning. We know looks a little bit different. It's a little strange not being able to gather in the building, not being able to worship together as a community, but thankfully we serve a God who is not limited by distance. So wherever you are, I just want to encourage you, if you're in your home, in your living room, and your kitchen table, wherever you're watching from, I just want to encourage you to get rid of distractions. If your phone is distracting you, turn it off. If uh, if your computer is distracting you, get rid of it. Kids are distracting you, lock them in the basement. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But but just get, eliminate those distractions and focus in on God because I believe God is something that he wants to share with you this morning. So this morning is our special communion service and and Dan Taylor is going to be bringing an incredible word. But just as we get started, I want to encourage you to grab the communion elements that you'll need for the end of the service whether it's uh, a piece of bread, uh, crackers, some, some kind of like grainy material, or, and, and just juice, orange juice, grape juice, wine, whatever you feel like. I know it's 10.30, but it's up to you. Just grab those elements and be ready to take communion with us in just a few minutes here. All right, that's all I've got for you guys. So I'm gonna turn it over to our Gateway Kids team for our kids moment.
3: It's time for our Bible story. Our story today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1. But this book isn't about Acts. It's about actions, the things that we do. This book tells the story of the works of Jesus' followers who started the church, guided by the Holy Spirit. Our story for today finds those very followers facing a tough question. If hardship. I was the voiceover actor, know what I'd Jesus be mad. bad <laughs> followers were called? They were called disciples. There were 12 of them, and each of them had an important role. Sadly, one of them, named Judas, made some bad decisions that led to Jesus being captured. His actions caused him to give up his role as one of the 12 disciples. It was sad, and it upset Jesus and all of the disciples, but they couldn't <laughs> stay sad. There was work to do. After Jesus died and came back to the disciples one last time, they knew that the good news of God had to be spread everywhere. And in order to do that, they needed to find someone who could take on the leadership that Judas left. It was a big decision. They narrowed it down to two, Justice and Matthias. The truth was, the decision was too big for them to make. So they went to the Holy Spirit in prayer, believing that that would lead them to the right person. After praying, they cast lots. Casting lots was basically like rolling dice. But they weren't depending on casting lots to tell them what to do. They were depending on the holy spirit to make a call and in fact that's exactly what the holy spirit did matthias was chosen to take judas's spot just like jesus's disciples we all have work to do for god like telling others about god's love and what jesus did for them but we can trust the holy spirit to help us with the work and any tough decisions we need to make the disciples did that and so can we because the holy spirit helps us do God's work.
4: Hey guys, so I have some fruit here, apples and oranges. So a lot of times we talk about how does an apple differ from an orange. So there's a lot of similarities. You know, they both grow on trees, they both have seeds. But there's a lot of differences too. So an apple has more fiber and an orange has more vitamin C. The textures are different and all these things. So I just wanted to use this as a metaphor, like just the work that we do with God, it's gonna be different, whether it's your sister or your brother, your mom or dad, we all do things different and the Holy Spirit helps us. So we have doctors and nurses who help care for the sick. We have teachers who help us learn, but they're still doing God's work because we are God's people. And you don't have to be a pastor or have the whole book Bible memorized to do God's work. We can just allow the Holy Spirit to come and work in us and teach us and guide us. And so as we go on this week, I want to ask you, what are you going to do for God? What are, is the Holy Spirit going to help you with this week? And I'd ask you to just ask him. Ask him Holy Spirit what are you doing in me help me and he will he will guide you so this morning kids just stand up with your parents and we take this time and worship God let the Holy Spirit fill you and be an example to your friends and your family and just go after God with all your hearts so let's pray father i just thank you that we don't need to be the same as everybody else father that you have made us totally different and that is a good thing father i just pray right now that you would speak to everybody here everyone watching and that you would guide them and you would direct them that you would provide opportunities for them to show your amazing work father We just thank you and we just pray that as we worship that father you would just become so real to people that they wouldn't question who you are but they would know and we thank you for all of this in jesus name amen
5: is taking us into a new season and he's renewing and bringing about a new spirit within us. And so that spirit of anxiety and that spirit of fear and maybe that hardened heart, uh, that unforgiveness of this season or what's been going on in your life, I believe God is calling us out of that season and he's renewing us. He is leading us into a new spirit and that's a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound mind I believe he is so merciful and in that step of faith that we take he is with us you are not taking a step of faith alone and so as we sing the spirit lead me where your trust where my trust is without borders God we believe that you are leading us into that and you are holding our hand and you are taking us into that next step so let's just sing that together
1: Sing, Spirit, lead me. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in
6: trust not be limited by our own brains and by our own hearts, by our own experiences, but let our trust in you only be limited by your power. Let our trust in you only be limited by your love. Let our trust in you only be limited by your grace, which is limitless. So help our faith and our trust in you to be limitless as well. And as we come into your word, God, open up our hearts. Help us to set down those barriers, those walls that we've built to protect ourselves. Because we're scared and we're afraid we're going to get hurt. God, we pray that, that for us in this room, for those who are listening, that we would feel your safety. Yes. That we can lay down all of the, the bits of armor that we've built around ourselves and we can hear your word, and we can delight in it, and we can feel at peace because of it. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is Communion Sunday, and I know that uh, Darian said, go get some elements earlier, uh, but I know that some of you didn't okay? That's just the way that things work. So right now, even if you're alone, you need to go get the elements of communion for yourself, okay? So get something to eat and a beverage, okay? And then come back here. And if you're worried, like, but I'm worried that I'm going to miss something. I'm going to tell a story here that doesn't really matter. So... I will tell it again I've told it a thousand times in the past don't worry you will hear this story in the future so I want you to go get a food thing and a drink thing and come back and in between I'm gonna tell a little story about faith because I was gonna tell a story about the evils of of big grape juice and the Welsh grape juice corporation but I'm gonna skip that I'm gonna tell a story about faith because I think that this is uh, more suitable to the atmosphere that was just created so Sometimes we think, like, lead me to where my trust is without borders. That means I've got to feel this great faith all the time. And I want to tell a little story about faith, but it starts with a simple question. Does anyone know, and if you're in the room, you can raise your hand or uh, you can sign in. Does anyone know uh, how far in yards it is from the pyramids at Giza to the nearest Kentucky Fried Chicken? No, no one knows that piece of information. The answer is surprisingly 100 yards. It is only 100 yards from the pyramids of Giza to the nearest Kentucky fried chicken. And the reason I know that is not because I've been to the pyramids at Giza, but because I heard that as a trivia question at the smugglers jug in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island on a Friday night in 1997. And that piece of information has stuck in my brain ever since. Now, about 10 years ago, a couple from my church went to Egypt. They had heard me tell this story. My friend Ryan stood at the Pyramids of Giza and took a picture of the Kentucky Fried Chicken 100 yards away. And when he came back, he was excited. He showed me this picture, and he was like, look. And all of a sudden, I knew in a whole new way what used to be just information my friend had now experienced And I believed him because he's my friend. He's not going to lie to me. I saw the picture. This is an amazing thing. You can get fried chicken 100 yards from the pyramids of Giza. And some point in my life, should the Lord allow, should we be able to travel, and all of those things happen, someday I'm going to go to the pyramids of Giza, I'm going to visit them, and then I'm going to walk 100 yards, and I'm going to buy myself a bucket of chicken that I'm going to share that bucket of chicken with strangers because I have now gotten to experience in full the knowledge that there is a Kentucky Fried Chicken 100 yards from the pyramids at Giza. Faith works the same way. Sometimes God is good and God is all-powerful, just exists as a piece of information in your head that you know, that you trust, that you believe, but you don't feel it. And sometimes you have a friend who you're like, I don't, feel this right now but I trust them and they've got a thing that I'm going to hang on to because I believe them they're showing me a picture it hasn't happened to me yet but I'm going to experience it with them and sometimes you get to buy the bucket of faith and you get to share it with your friends okay and and that is the deepest and fullest experience of faith but we have all three of those at some point in our lives So if you're sitting at home right now and you're like, I don't have faith because I'm just at the information level, it's okay. You've got friends that have had pictures and someday, I promise you, the Lord will fill up your bucket with chicken of faith and uh, we can go on from there. So I hope you're back now with your stuff and we're gonna move on with the sermon. So we're gonna start with talking about communion because we're coming to the communion table today and we wanna make sure that we get it right. The reason why we want to make sure that we get it right is because we know that it's easy to get it wrong. And we know that it's easy to get it wrong because the, where we learn a lot about the table in the Bible comes from a moment in 1 Corinthians where Paul is correcting the Corinthian church about how they're doing the table wrong. Can we go to the first slide? It Says in 1 Corinthians, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says to the Corinthians, "Your meetings are doing more harm than good." Which sounds harsh, and it sounds surprising because we're like, of course, God calls the church to have meetings. How can meetings do more harm than good? But this is actually a tradition that exists all the way through the Bible because I know that this is hard for some of you, especially those of you who grew up in Christian churches to believe, but God did not call us as a church primarily to have meetings. That is not why we exist. In fact, can we go to the next one? Something fascinating In uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, God says through the prophet to his people, he says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbath, convocations. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being, God says. Go to the next one, please. It says, you've become a burden to me. I'm weary of hearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Fascinating story where God's like, look, you're doing all of the religious stuff right, but you're still murdering the poor. You're still offering up idols to worship to other idols as well. I'm tired of hearing it. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. Can we go to the next one? Does this in Amos as well. Through the prophet Amos, God says, I hate, I despise. Your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept those. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Next slide, please. Away with the noise of your songs. I don't want to listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Let righteousness like a never-failing stream. God is not impressed with religious activity if it is not connected to religious action. He doesn't care about what we do if it only matters to us. And Jesus reiterates the same thing. He talks about people's basic religious activities. Go to the next one, please. This is what he says in Matthew 6. So he says, when you give to the needy, he's talking to religious people. Religious people give to the needy. That's a good thing to do. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. You're losing your reward because you're just doing it for your own attention. Go to the next one. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in synagogues to be seen by others. Don't do your religiousness as a show for other people. Can we go to the next one, please? When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They would fast, and they would wander around being like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. No, I'm fine. I'm just fasting right now. Oh, but I'm so hungry. They're shaking. God says, no, no, don't do that. Be strong in your fasting, because they're just doing it to impress other people. We end up in this place where our religious activity isn't impressive to God anymore. He doesn't care. Because if our religious activity doesn't connect us to God, isn't in response to what he's doing in our lives, if our religious activity only benefits us, then God isn't impressed with it. He'd rather not have it. Take it away. And I'm reluctant to say this, because I'm as guilty as everyone else, but Big C Church, I find it fascinating. For the last 14 months, we've been, ha- we've been not allowed to have services or having much reduced services. And I haven't heard one of us ask the question, maybe God is saying, I'm sick of hearing you. Go get your hearts right. Maybe we should ask the question. So, and I know that some of you are saying, but Dan, I know the passage that says where two and three are gathered together, God is with them. And that's true. That is true. That is true. That is a very true passage. But one, that, ser- that passage is not talking about religious services. That's talking about when Christians come together to call their brothers and sisters to holiness, to to call them to, to, to go to them and say, like, there is something in your life that is killing you, and it's killing the rest of us, and we need to help you get that out. That is when God is with us. But also, when God is with us, he does promise that he'll be with us, it doesn't mean that he's happy about it. God can be with us and be very, very happy upset and this is why we need to make sure as we go to the next slide that our meetings do not do more harm than good let's keep reading this so this is what paul says in the following directives i have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good in the first place i hear that when you come together as a church there are divisions among you and to some extent i believe it no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have god's approval right So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you were eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not on this matter. This is really interesting. So what... We know about the early church, both from the Bible and from from extra-biblical sources, historic sources at the time, is that when people gathered for a Christian service, they would eat together. They would have what was called a love meal or, or an agape feast it was sometimes called. And that didn't look like what it often looks like in our churches with like a shot glass full of grape juice and a little wafer. It was a genuine meal. And it happened often because the meetings that they were having were happening over a meal time. But that was what they did. It was common that they would gather together, they would eat, and they would and they would listen to the word, they would sing songs, they would do all of the regular things, but, but a meal would be a big part of it. What's happening at this church, at this specific one, is that these meals were not being potlucked, where, where I bring everything and we all share everything together. I bring my little bit, you bring your bit, you bring your bit. We all gather around, and we all avoid that, that weird casserole that has like raisins in it because there should not be raisins in a casserole we just all avoid that but the rest of the stuff we all just kind of share together right that wasn't what was happening what was happening was that certain families would show up and they would have their meal and their people would eat their food and other people would show up and they might have a very little bit of food or they might have no food at all so in the same room There's multiple parties happening where these people are are blasting it up and living it up and shots, shots, shots and everything else going on and these people are going hungry. And God says through Paul, that's not okay. You can't have people of means over here hoarding while someone over there goes hungry. That's not a unified body. You ought to be sharing. That's what you do. That's what God designed us to do together. We should be sharing with each other. God is very clear throughout the Bible that he hates it when these economic divisions exist between us. James addresses the same thing. In the book of James, when James is talking to the people that he's writing to, he's saying, like, hey, wait a minute. I know that some of you, when a rich person comes in your church, you're like, ooh, rich people and you go and you put him in a nice chair up by the front and you say thank you rich person for blessing us with your presence we're going to give you a good place to sit and then james says you also have a poor person come in and you're like yeah i don't know what we're going to do with this guy you sit on the floor you sit over there you stay somewhere out of smell range right and god says through james that's not okay it's favoritism. You're not supposed to do that. God is not a, a respecter of persons is the old traditional way of saying it. God doesn't care how much money you have. God does not care how much status you have. God doesn't care if you're the CEO of a corporation, or, nor does he care if you're sleeping in the river valley. Both of those human beings are of equal value in the eyes of God. And God might love the righteousness of the person living in the river valley and detest the coercion of the person who is the CEO of a corporation. God is not a respecter of persons. And because God is not a respecter of persons, his church ought not to be respecters of persons either. But we do this. We allow ourselves to judge each other based on our clothing, based on our cars based on the neighborhood in which we live, based on how well we speak the language, based on our education levels. And we say these people are more valuable, these people are less valuable, and God says you've got to stop that. It's killing the church and it's killing you and it's killing us as well as the North American church. And this is really important because when Paul talks about the, what Jesus did on the cross, in Colossians 1, he says that on the cross, Jesus reconciled all things to himself. Now, that includes creation but that includes all people as well. All people have been reconciled to God in what Jesus has done on the cross. And all of the barriers that were between things have been torn apart. The barrier between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people has been torn apart in Jesus. The barrier between different ethnic groups has been torn apart in Jesus. The barrier between people of different economic means has been torn apart in Jesus. Jesus on the cross specifically did what he did in order to reconcile all things, all people, everything to himself. And when we go back and add divisions in the church to where we say rich people over here, poor people over here, people with right theology over here, people with bad theology over here, people of this ethnic group over here, people of that ethnic group over there, people of this political persuasion over here, people of that political persuasion over there. When we do that, we are undoing the work that Jesus did on the cross. So you can understand why he gets so mad about it. What makes you more angry at your children when they mess up, so, than when they mess up something that you just cleaned up? <laughs> right? You just cleaned up the kitchen and then you walk in, you turn your back for two seconds and there's like an entire pile of dishes that just came down from someone's room. It makes you infuriated. How much more so do you think Jesus is infuriated when he goes to the cross to reconcile all of us to each other in him? And then we start making these divisions again. It's infuriating. And we need to start to recognize it in ourselves and start to tear down these barriers that we built up. Because Jesus in his work tore down the barriers between God and people, between heaven and earth, between individuals, between brother and brother and sister and sister. And we need to... And we need to fight against that human urge to insert those barriers back in. We get infected by the world's view of people. Because what the world has always done is it's evaluated people on their usefulness. The world evaluates people based on their looks. It evaluates people based on the money that they have in the bank or the money that they're able to produce. It evaluates people on what can you do for me. Jesus says, no, Stop that. You need to evaluate people not based on what you think of them, but based on what I think of them, Jesus says. You need to love people not based on the love that you have for them, but the love that I have for them. And the love that Jesus has for all people is limitless. So that's why he takes this so seriously. If we allow the world's vision of people to infect our communities, then we become actors and hypocrites, and our religious activity only only benefits ourselves, and God doesn't want it. Get away, he says. That's why we take this table seriously, because if we go to the next slide, he says this. So then whoever eats The bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now, most me and a lot of you probably heard this verse when you were younger and thought, I need to make sure that all of my sins are confessed before I go to the table. I need to make sure that I'm all scrubbed up and I'm good and then I can come to the table because if I don't do that, I'm eating and drinking death unto myself. That is not what this verse is talking about. Go to the next slide. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat eat and drink judgment upon themselves. It's not about me scrubbing off the sins of the last week before I can come to God's table. That's an ineffective and foolish way to go about things. My sin has already been taken care of in the work of Jesus. But if I come to this table without recognizing that this table is open just as much to the person I hate as it is to me, then I'm eating and drinking judgment upon myself. If I come to this table forgetting that the person who has the political opinions that I vehemently disagree with and are going to destroy this country, if I don't recognize that this table is open to them as well, then I'm eating and drinking judgment upon myself. If I look at someone else and say, well, your sin, actually, your sin is real bad, so you need to fix that before you come to the table, your sin, whatever that is that you're carrying in your heart, you need to fix that, then I'm eating and drinking judgment upon myself because the answer to the question that was asked on the slides, whose table is this? It's Jesus' table. And it's always been Jesus' table. That's why Paul's so mad. You have your own homes to have your own tables in. Invite who you want. That's fine. But at Jesus' table, you don't put up walls. At Jesus' table, you share. At Jesus' table, everyone is welcome. At Jesus' table, we don't measure people's value based on what they can give us or do for us. We measure people's value based on what Jesus did for them. So this table belongs to Jesus. And if we don't remember that when we come to it, then we're in danger of eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves. The next verse says, this is why many of you are sick, this is why many of you are falling into judgment, and it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, am I creating more divisions between myself and other people when Jesus has torn them down? Am I trying to undo the work that Jesus did on the cross? So we're inviting you and we're inviting ourselves to come to this table today. I'm going to move it into the middle, if that's okay. I'm just going to. I don't know if you can see that on the screen. If not, don't worry about it. But there's bread here and juice. Not Welch's, just in case. Down down with big grape juice. (laughs) But we're inviting you to this table today. This is Jesus' table. And I want you to examine yourselves. I do. I want all of us in this room to examine ourselves. I I need to examine myself. Because I've got this thing in my heart that wants to start building walls to keep people out. People who disagree with me. People who I would like to think that I'm better than. And I can't come to this table if I'm allowing that to exist. When we come to this table, we're not coming to the church. We're coming to Jesus And we're coming to the healing and the grace and the peace that is available in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And we're here to be reconciled to Jesus. But part of being reconciled to Jesus means being reconciled to all of the people around us. Not just the people that you already like, not just the people who already agree with you, but the people that you have to work so hard to love the people that you have to force yourself to love because it is not in you on your own. Jesus says, I'll give it to you. Work against it, fight against it because I don't understand, and this is where I get it right, I don't understand how I can come to this table aware of all of the grace that I need, aware of all of the ways that Jesus has forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Aware of all of the ways that God has continued to bless me and work for me when I didn't work through me when I didn't deserve it, and then disdain the work that he is doing in someone else. And this is why Jesus says to us, I will show you the most excellent way. He says through Paul a couple of chapters later. He says, How are we supposed to operate together as a church? He says, I will show you the most excellent way. And this is in 1 Corinthians. 13 most of you are going to know it but if you're wondering how can I operate to these people that I hate in a way that Jesus would have me do? how can I tear down these barriers how can I how can I do this we've got a simple set of behaviors for you that are really easy for us to engage in if we just put our minds to it and the really easy they're not easy they're difficult but it's not complex it's just hard but love is patient love is kind It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, even when they say something stupid on the internet, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, which our society has started to love doing more than anything else, keeping long records of wrongs. So nobody can ever forget the wrongs that anyone has ever did, no matter how much they've repented. Love keeps no record record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If you're wondering what to do with the person that you would like to not invite to this table, with the person that you would want to build a division against, be patient. Be kind. Stop yourself when you feel that anger bubbling inside you. Banish the record of wrongs from your your memory. Because it will only make you miserable. And remember that, the lo- that love never fails. Let's pray together. God, help us to remember as we come here that this is your table. And then even as amazing as it is that you've invited us to it, it's even more amazing that you've invited everyone to it. There isn't a person In the realm of humanity who is exempt from your love there isn't a person in the realm of humanity who is exempt from your forgiveness as much as our hearts desire for divisions and justice because they make us and, and 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 punishment because it makes us feel safe because it makes us feel righteous help us to only find our safety and our righteousness in you and what you've done help us to trust you when there's people that we don't understand. Help us to trust you when we feel afraid and when we want to build up barriers to keep others out. Let's remember that your arms are forever open to those who would come to you. And if you're the one who is like, is this too good to be true? This seems too fantastic that in the midst of everything that I've done that that Jesus still reaches out for me Jesus still reaches out for you. It's, it is too good to be true, but that doesn't mean it's not true. So come to this table and experience the life, the peace, and the hope that is found in Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to get your elements of communion, please. And take your, your food portion. And remember with me that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. So if you could take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, drink all of it, if you could drink together. And in doing this, we remember the Lord's death until he comes again. says that after this meal they sang a song and then they went out. So we're going to sing a song together and I want you to go out into your life this week, into your home, into your work, into wherever God has placed you, trusting that you have been filled up with all of the grace, the knowledge, the hope that you need to do what God has called you to do there. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, show his face to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.
2: for joining us this morning for our our communion service. It was great to be able to worship together online and and take communion, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. And just as we close, if if this is your first or second time here at Gateway, um, we just want to encourage you to text the word VIP to 587-855-5569. The idea of this is we just want to get to know you. We want to connect with you, answer any questions you have about the church. And when we're able to meet in person, we would love to give you a free gift as well. So if you're new, text VIP to the number on your screen. As well, if you have been coming to Gateway for a while and, and you want to support our mission of seeing people's lives change and seeing God work in people's lives here in Edmonton, I want to encourage you to, to do so by, by supporting us financially. You can do that by heading to gateway.ac give and give online via debit or credit. There's also some other different methods that you can do via our website there, just gateway.ac give if you want to support us. All right, that's all we have for you this morning. So we just hope that you all have a great week and we will see you again next Sunday online for church. God bless everyone.